the Upper Left Corner merch store is open. Head on over to UpperLeftPodcast.com to browse my shop. You can pre-order clothing, including sweatshirts, tees, and tanks. I'll also be adding new merch throughout the month of September, including wine glasses, mugs, stickers, and more. Head over to UpperLeftPodcast.com today to support this show. Content warning. The following program may contain descriptions of violence and or sexual assault that may be upsetting to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The upper left corner of the United States is full of stunning scenery. Beautiful mountains, raging rivers, breathtaking valleys, and so much more. But the Pacific Northwest is also known for something more sinister. This beautiful land also seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and others who commit heinous acts. I was born in the Pacific Northwest, and I've had a fascination with true crime since childhood. I'm here to tell you the true crime stories of the PNW. So grab your sweater and a cup of coffee. I'm your host, Emily, and this is The Upper Left Corner. heading to the door just to see what was going on but then very quickly realized he's not gonna stop at that door he's not pausing he is just full-on walking in and so when I realized that my kind of gut reaction was to head towards my daughter and grab my daughter he ended up grabbing me before I got to my daughter and he grabbed me by the ponytail and he threw me over the couch covered my mouth and just got really close to my ear and was like I won't hurt you I just want your money And then he just stopped and he stared at me and it was a look that I've I've never seen in my life before. Um, It was just, it was eyes that were pure black and it was just pure, it it looked like looking into pure evil. I was still spraying, not knowing what else to do and Kyle said, Denny, I need help. And for me, that was just like a light switch. And and I, the only thing I thought of was like, okay, gotta get a knife. I don't know, I, my goal in life is I want everybody to feel the most fulfilled and happy life. Like we all deserve that. This world is a crazy place and stuff happens, but like we can't, like we are in charge of living the best life we can. It's, it's on us. And so, you know, getting enough sleep, eating well, like all that stuff will contribute to your mental health. And, um, it's hard. It freaking sucks in my, if you listen to podcasts, I get to a really, really low point, but you just have to believe that you can totally get through it. This week, I'll be speaking with Tennyson Jacobson about her traumatic life experience in which she killed a home intruder who was attacking her family, as well as the healing journey that she and her husband had been on. But first, let's get our PNW town profile. North Bend, Washington is a city in King County on the outskirts of the Seattle metropolitan area. As of the 2010 census, the population was just over 7,000. The town was made famous by the television series Twin Peaks which was partially filmed in North Bend. The community is also home to Nintendo North Bend, the main North American production facility and distribution center for the video game console manufacturer. The Snoqualmie Indian tribe has resided in the Snoqualmie Prairie, including the area now known as North Bend, for thousands of years. One of the first explorers to visit the upper Snoqualmie Valley was Samuel Hancock in 1851. The Snoqualmies, led by Chief Pat Canham, would side with the early settlers in the Indian Wars that took place in the 1850s. They were one of the only tribes to agree to the Treaty of Point Elliot in 1855, which failed to designate a reservation for the Snoqualmies. 
The land was settled first by soldiers of the war, and in 1858, the first permanent American resident of the valley arrived, with many more homesteaders to follow after the Homestead Act of 1862. In 1889, with the impending railroad boom, the town was platted and given the name Snoqualmie. However, competing Seattle land speculators platted nearby Snoqualmie Falls, and they put pressure on the developing town to change its name to avoid confusion. So the name was reluctantly changed to Mountain View. However, the U.S. Post Office objected to the name Mountain View as there was already a town in Whatcom County with the name. To conclude the town naming drama, North Bend was chosen after its prime location near the large northward bend of the south and middle fork of the Snoqualmie River. And North Bend was incorporated in 1909 and grew throughout the 20th century with an early economic focus on logging, sawmill production, agricultural, and dairy farming. Tennyson, thank you so much for joining me today. I listened to your podcast, Common Ground, in two days, and your story of trauma and healing was enthralling. For my listeners who have not had a chance to hear Common Ground yet, let's start at the beginning of your story. So tell me about Mother's Day 2013. Yeah, on Mother's Day of 2013, we were living with my mom um, at the time we were building a home. So we were living with her while we're going through that process. And so um, we had just got back from kind of a weekend away. We came back home. It was a Sunday. Um, so it was about the middle afternoon. And at the time we had our daughter that was eight months old. And so come home and then we're kind of just settling in from getting back from a weekend away. And my husband headed out to our gym because we owned a CrossFit gym at the time. And he left. And within about five minutes, you know, I was just kind of picking up, cleaning the house, putting things away. And I noticed this guy who starts walking up house was kind of weird. The front door is in the back. And so I noticed this guy who was started walking up our porch and um, it's amazing, you know, kind of how people talk about slow motion things happen. And that's totally what this moment was. Cause we were on the outskirts of town, like nobody ever came to our house. And so that alone was just weird. And then your mind starts to go, well, it's Sunday. Like that's especially weird. It's mother's day. That's even more weird. (laughs) And so I started heading to the door just to see what was going on, but then very quickly realized he's not going to stop at that door. He's not pausing. He is just full on walking in. And so when I realized that my kind of gut reaction was to head towards my daughter and grab my daughter, he ended up grabbing me before I got to my daughter and he grabbed me by the ponytail and he threw me over the couch, covered my mouth and just got really close to my ear and was like, I won't hurt you. I just want your money. And my first thought that's going through my mind is, oh my gosh, he's going to take me. He's going to, I'm not going to see my family. He's going to, you know, do things. I actually had money in my wallet, um, which was super rare. And so I told him, and no, I'm trying to kick and scream and wiggle out of that. And there was just, I mean, I couldn't do anything. And my mom was in the shower at the time. So we lived with my mom, but she was in her room. She had no idea what was going on. Um, and so he, he walks me over to, um, my diaper bag, which was by the the front door where he came in and he's still holding me by the hair and, you know, and he's just, he smells awful. Like he was, it was just so gross. He was dirty, smelled putrid. And so he's, uh, walking me to the diaper bag. And then I had one of those zipper wallets. And so He's allowing me to like get my wallet out, unzip the zipper, which I thought was just really weird. Like if you just want my money, you're just going to take my wallet, (laughs) like, you know? And so he's waiting for me to unzip my wallet. I pull out $41 that I had and I handed it to him. And then he eventually, he let go of me and then he just stopped and he stared at me. And it was a look that I've, I've never seen in my life before. Um, It was just it was eyes that were pure black and it was just pure. It, it looked like looking into pure evil. And, you know, we were just kind of there for a moment. And then he wound up and he smacked me as hard as he could. Um, I ended up falling down and sprained my ankle or whatever. And then he just bolted off. And so 
immediately get up, lock the doors and, and, um, you know, obviously freaking out and then run towards my daughter at that time. Now my mom kind of hears what's going on. So she starts coming out. So, um, that's when I, then I, I can't even remember if I first called my husband or if I called the police, I think I might've called my husband first, but, yeah, that was, that was kind of that first, first, well, yeah, the break-in. <laughs> so in the podcast, mm-hmm. what got me was that you went to dinner afterwards just to, oh. this was your first mother's day, right? I mean, you still were. Yeah. Yeah. So we had plans, you know, it was pretty low key. You've got a infant, so you can't go too crazy, but yeah, we had plans that day. And, you know, as you kind of alluded to in some of um, the pre-stuff, it's like police came, became a big investigation. Like it took, I mean, I think they were there for almost four hours Um, and they had dogs and helicopters. And so, yes, by the end of the night, it was like, well, we had plans to go to dinner. And (laughs) frankly, I kind of just want to get out of the house. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, At this point. And so, yeah, I still went to dinner, but it was, it was, I mean, I was terrified. I don't, I can't even remember if I say in the podcast, but I remember having to get up to go to the bathroom and the bathroom was at the back of the restaurant. And so I was walking down this hall and then I like, my heart started racing so fast and I was so scared just immediately to go to the bathroom. And yeah, I mean, when you're violated in your home in a small town where there was never stuff like that, that happened, we weren't in that type of like, you know, we, we didn't know, I don't know, we had a pretty safe community and, you know, weren't involved with people who, you know, kind of do weird things. And so, and then just when it's in your home and um, you're violated, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Yes. And then, so you call your husband because Mm -hmm. he had gone out to, he'd gone to work out, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what was his reaction from the phone call? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I wish I like remembered it, but it was essentially like, uh, oh my gosh, I'm coming straight home. And, um, he was, he had met up with, um, the person who we own the gym with. And so they came together. Cause I think our friend was like, are you okay to drive? And, it's funny because I don't even think Kyle remembers if he drove home or not, but yeah, they immediately come home and he was, which was great. And, uh, you know, a moment for us and in the podcast is when he came home, um, and just seeing him walk up the stairs and it's always a moment that gets me emotional, but just like seeing his look, uh, on his face, um, as he's like coming up to me, it was just like, you could, there it was filled with like, anger and confusion and just like pure love, um, for me. And yeah, it was, I, again, it was just kind of shocking. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of the podcast too. And not to spoil anything, but then Mm -hmm. when your husband comes on the podcast, he Mm -hmm. describes the moment and it was like the same level of importance for him as it was for you. And so that was just, it was really sweet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, in life, I mean, it sounds like you have kids and life gets routine and you manage working and having kids. And it's, I I can't honestly say it's not a blessing to have that moment because it's something obviously I still get emotional about. And he does too. That was a real moment in our relationship where it's like, you're able to truly see how somebody cares so much about you because of yeah, a, a crazy moment. So yeah, it was pretty cool. So you go out to dinner and you come back home. So tell me about that evening. Yeah. So I, um, I also had friends or plans with a friend to come over, um, that evening just because she didn't, she lived in California and I so rarely saw her and she's one of my best friends. And so she had planned to come over that night and, um, I was really excited to see her. So we hung out for a couple hours, um, had some wine and just chat, you know, chatted and caught up. And then my husband and uh, our daughter, they went to bed a bit earlier. And so when I was getting ready for bed, I just, obviously I was scared. Somebody broke in. Um, and so I just was like, I, I had this feeling he was coming back. There was just this look about him that I was like, this guy's coming back. I just feel it. 
but am I, am I being crazy just because he broke in? Like, of course I'm on high alert, but I just did have this feeling. And so I went around every single door, every single window. I was checking every single lock. I'd sit down, I'd go do it again. And then I got in bed. I got up and I did it again. (laughs) And, um, I was just so, I was so scared. Um, and so I had usually, I sleep on the side of the bed that's by our door to go get up with our daughter. And so my husband kind of flopped so or flipped. So he slept on that side and I slept on the side away from the door. And so, yeah, get into bed. And I mean, I, I was wide awake because I was so scared. I, I had our baby monitor, you know, where you can see the video and I just literally stared at the monitor and wasn't sleeping, just, you know, mind racing and everything. And so we had two little dogs that slept with us and they, they frequently always got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Um, and I usually took them again, since our daughter was young and I was usually up with her. And so they started, you know, wiggling and letting us know it was time to go out. And so I wake up my husband to take them out. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't scared at all. Like it was just kind of a normal night. He had not seen the guy. He really had no problem at all sleeping. So he gets up and I told him, so we always slept with a bat and then a can of wasp spray because, um, a police officer one time said, don't have uh, pepper spray, like get wasp spray. That's the worst. And so I told him to take the bat and which was like this wooden Louisville slugger bat. Um, but he, he didn't take that. He took the wasp spray. And so, yeah, so he heads out to, in the hallway to take our dogs out and gets about halfway down the hallway. And then our dogs start growling and coming back. And so I'm in bed and I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, why are they running immediately back in? And they're like freaked out. And um, so I'm just kind of confused for a moment. And then I can hear stuff going on. And essentially what happened when Kyle turned around to see the dogs were going back into my room because they were growling and he didn't want to wake up anybody. The guy was right there and um, staring at him and just immediately charged at my husband. So essentially this guy had passed our door. He was headed to my mom's bedroom door. And so he got a little bit farther from our room. And so when he heard my husband come out, my husband turns around and then he comes towards him and Kyle was basically like, Oh, you know, like, Oh my God. And, um, immediately starts trying to spray the wasp spray at him. Um, and very quickly realized, well, that's not going to do anything at all. (laughs) And so the guy immediately attacks my husband. And so they kind of, they start fighting and, at that time I hear wrestling. And so then I grab the bat, um, head out of our room and get into the hall. And I can see, um, they're kind of wrestling against the wall and then go down to the floor. And I mean, by the grace of God, Kyle, my husband, he was a wrestling coach. Um, you know, we owned a gym, so he was pretty strong and fit. Um, which I think, oh my gosh, um, I can't imagine if not, but yeah, by that time, Kyle had him on the floor on all fours and Kyle had him in a headlock. So like, you know, if you're in a headlock, your head's tucked down and he's just on all fours. So his back was like totally exposed for me. And so I took that, you know, wooden bat and I just freaking started slamming it on his back as hard as I could. And, you know, I'm pretty small, but I, you know, I'd reach up with every ounce in me and hit him as hard as I freaking could. And by the sixth time I hit him, the bat broke, which was insane. Cause this is crazy solid bat. (laughs) Um, and I was like, I held the broken bat. I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> what do I do now? And then I thought of like, cause it was jagged. Like you would see it, you know, a bat breaking. And I was like, okay, I'll take this and I'll put it in his back. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And so then I started trying to kick him in the balls cause his hips were up. And, um, because he had hit me before and I sprained my ankle, I start trying to kick him with my foot, my right foot. And, it was just pathetic. It was, I was like, Oh, that's dumb. That doesn't work. Um, and so then I was like, I'll try my left foot. And that was worse. And so, and then I saw the can of wasp spray and I was like, okay, I'm going to try that. And so I take the wasp spray. And again, thank gosh, like Kyle knew how to get him in a headlock because Kyle's heads up here, his head's down here. So I wasn't worried about getting Kyle. And I literally, I put it 
Emily in his like point blank, like right <laughs> in his eyes. And I just had the trigger down and I'm just going like this back and forth. I mean, for like 30 seconds, I, cause at that point I had nothing else to do. I was like, okay, I'll just keep spraying. And the whole while he's like, I mean, he's not making any noises in all of this. You know, if you think of your, your back getting hit with a bat hard, <laughs> uh, you might say like, ow, or, you know, you know, make exclamation. He's not making any noises. Um, he's just like growling and, and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to bite my husband's fingers and grab his balls. And like, he's trying to do everything he can to hurt my husband. And, um, and he's like army crawling. So we're, we're in this dining room and he's, um, while I'm doing this, he's slowly army crawling my husband. So they moved about 10 feet up throughout this whole time. And then, yeah, at one point, Kyle, I was still spraying, not knowing what else to do. And Kyle said, Denny, I need help. And for me, that was just like a light switch. And, and I, the only thing I thought of was like, okay, you got to get a knife because we didn't have anything else. Like there's nothing else I could do. And so ran to our kitchen and, um, I knew that we had two big kitchen knives and one sucked and one was good. <laughs> and so I got both of them just to make sure I knew I had the good one. And yeah, I, uh, and at that point, my mom now had come out, she heard what was going on and she was, she was trying to hit him with a bat. And I think she might've even started trying to kick him in the balls too, and then my husband had got her on the phone with 911 to call the police. So she's actually on the phone with the police while I'm getting a knife. And um, so she's in there. And so I come out and then, I mean, again, his back was completely open because Kyle had fortunately control of him. And so I just, I started stabbing him and yeah, uh, it, which was crazy, insane. And you're aware of yourself in that moment, like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is crazy. And, you know, at one point there was like a chunk of the knife that came out and I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, but it was so terrifying and it was so terrifying. And, um, yeah, I, I would have kept going. And then finally Kyle said, stop. And I think I kept going. <laughs> I stopped him another time. And then he said, stop again. And then let him like roll on his back. And then I stabbed him in the stomach, but he just like, I knew like this guy was never going to stop. I had seen how pure evil he was and yeah. And then starts the discussions with, um, again, the police are on the phone. So they're talking to my mom and then, um, I get on the line and they now know what happened. Um, cause my mom, you know, started saying, Oh my gosh, she's, you know, stabbing him. She's stabbing him. And so then I get on the phone and they essentially have to walk me through putting down the knife. Cause I was like, I was so scared. He was not dead. And so I, I was like, I can't, I think I remember saying like, I can't do it. I'm too scared. And you know, whoever I was talking to, um, was great. And they, I essentially got me to walk to the kitchen and put the knife in the, in the sink. And then, you know, you have to kind of state who you are and all this stuff. And then got my husband on the line and then, yeah, they, you know, and we kind of lived on the outskirts of town. It wasn't that far, but I just, it takes a while for anybody to get there. So we just stayed on the line until, um, until police got there. And then slowly they started to come in and a lot started to come in and, yeah. And then it started the whole second round of an investigation. Um, so, so the police arrive and they actually ended up placing you under arrest, correct? Yeah. So it was really, we actually had no idea we were under arrest. So everybody was amazing. We were ushered to the front entryway where it was the first time he came in and there was a little bench there. And so we were essentially kept there. Um, and then we were, we had two police officers that were with us and I just kind of thought we were sitting there because we obviously had to wait for them to do their thing with the guy and start figuring out the scene. And, and in my mind, obviously we just killed somebody, but 
I knew exactly what happened, right? So I knew everything that led up to that point, um, everything we tried to do, that it was 100% self-defense. So in my mind, I'm not questioning myself at all because I, I knew exactly what happened. But then of course it starts to sink in like, oh my gosh, I just did that. But yeah, I didn't fully, the police uh, officers that were standing with us were so kind and there was one that was a female and we just started talking and she was sharing stories and like I felt like she was trying to make me feel comfortable so there was really no clue to me that we were um and at one point we finally were able to go take a shower because obviously it was covered in a mess and like they made a police officer like stand outside my door which <laughs> I thought was like Oh, they're being so nice to like protect me. <laughs> Whereas like Kyle's like, well, I don't know if that's what that was for. <laughs> but and then eventually like an a detective came and then she pulled us into her car individually. So I can't even remember who went first at this point. But when I got pulled into the car, she was like, I mean, the first thing she said to me is like, Are you okay? or how are you doing? And um, I could tell she you know, she really cared about me. And, and so then she was like, I just, you know, I do have to read you your rights. And so then I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be in trouble. And then I was, I just kept telling her, I was like, I don't want to be in trouble. <laughs> um, but you know, even in that, I mean, she did res such respectful things. Like I got, I was sitting in the front seat of the car with her. And then the other detective was in the back seat. Like to me, it was all these really kind gestures of like showing care for me. And so I just didn't even realize, um, and we were never handcuffed or anything. And so I don't even think it was until hours into it that I understood that, oh, there was an arrest for murder. Um, and, and, you know, we still, it's not like you go off to jail. Um, we had, I mean, my husband had gaping sores on his knees and I had open wounds. And so now we were exposed to blood and have open wounds. And so we had to go to the hospital to like get checked out and, and then see an infectious disease. So that process kind of started versus it's not like we're just handcuffed and um, put in a police car. And then one of the other things that the police officers informed you of was that they asked you about a camera. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, when we were sitting in that entryway, um, you know, they're starting to check out the scene and everything. And the detective, who is just amazing, she comes up to me and she's like, hey, Tennyson, um, do you have a camera? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'll get you one. Like, I thought she needed a camera for pictures and um, stuff. And then she's like, no, no, we're good. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then it wasn't until the next day we were talking to one of the police officers they had shared how they found a camera um, and then they found a camera, they found a tripod. I started to learn the things he had on him. So that included a camera, a tripod, gardening gloves, duct tape, flashlight. So it was, it was obvious what, that there was some plans there that um, were not going to be so great. So, and, and that night, you know, um, when my husband came home with Nick, they came home in Kyle's truck at the time. And so because that first investigation was taking, um, so long and Nick was at our house, just being, you know, a supportive friend, we were like, dude, take Kyle's truck, like go home. Like this is taking too long. So it was the first night ever that Kyle's truck wasn't there when he actually, when he was home. So it's, pretty amazing. And because he's a firefighter as well. So sometimes his truck wasn't there, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. there were nights that he was not home. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. If you are in the market for a new vehicle, you have to reach out to Shelly at Stuart Subaru located in central Washington. Shelly is not your traditional car salesperson. She is a trade-up specialist and an award-winning sales consultant. She is the absolute best in the business and has been for over two years. If you are in the market for a Subaru, because let's be honest, who in the PNW isn't? 
you can feel confident in purchasing a Subaru with their accolades like four-time best overall brand according to Kelly Blue Book, including in the year 2021. The highest possible safety rating in all 2021 models from IIHS, and Subaru was the first automotive plant in the U.S. to achieve zero landfill status, where 100% of their waste is either recycled or turned into electricity. If you are in the market for a new Subaru and don't want to deal with the typical car sales situation, hashtag ask for Shelly at Stuart Subaru by calling 435-513-6679. You can also find her on Instagram by her handle at Shelly Subaru. That's Shelly spelled S-H-E-L-L-Y Subaru. I will link both her Insta and phone number in my show notes. And don't forget to ask for Shelly at Stuart Subaru, located at 506 West Fruitvale Boulevard in Yakima, Washington. Are you looking for a better way to experience music? Do you like supporting PNW businesses? Well then, you have to check out Campfire Audio, creator of top-notch quality earphones for music lovers alike. Campfire Audio springs from a passionate focus on refined audio reproduction. With a small team of highly skilled and dedicated craftspeople, they continuously experiment with materials and techniques to create something unique and special for the people who care most about it. With determination and focus, prototypes turn into world-class earphones. Each model in their earphone line is designed and assembled by hand in their Portland, Oregon workshop. Their earphones are second to none in performance and finish. With their new plastic models, Satsuma and Honeydew, Campfire Audio has designed a day-to-day earphone for the audiophile on the go. But you can't forget their flagship model, the Andromeda. Rest assured that when you purchase a Campfire Audio earphone, you are the proud owner of a world-class product from a company that confidently stands behind everything it creates. Check out CampfireAudio.com for all of your high-end earphone needs. You can find the link in my show notes. Campfire Audio. Nicely done. I have a book recommendation today if you are looking for something suspenseful just in time for Halloween season. Crazy is as crazy does. The Life of a Serial Killer by author John H. Mudgett is the recipient of an E-Lit Book Awards silver medal in the horror category. This twisted tale of horror might be right up your alley if you are intrigued by notorious serial killers like Ted Bundy, Eileen Warnos, or the Zodiac Killer. Crazy Is As Crazy Does, The Life of a Serial Killer revolves around character John Goodman, who evolves from a timid and disorganized criminal into a powerful mastermind of deception and intimidation. Although the character is fictional, the story revolves around factual persons and events, dating back to 1955 and ending shortly after the capture of the Golden State Killer in 2018. You'll be taken on a 75-year-old killer's journey through his life, and you'll be left to separate falsehoods from the facts. At Chapter 5, the story takes an interesting turn when the dialogue becomes John's first-person account of his encounters with the likes of the Zodiac Killer, Charles Whitman, Jim Morrison of The Doors, Ed Kemper, and more. You can find Crazy Is As Crazy Does, The Life of a Serial Killer by John H. Mudgett on Amazon today. That title again is Crazy Is As Crazy Does The Life of a Serial Killer, and you can find the link in my show notes. And now on to my interview with Tennyson. So now you've had to go to the hospital and get all checked out and everything was clear with the infectious disease part. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That made me so mad. I was like, I didn't even think about it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We go through that. You attack us. And now I can potentially have an infectious disease. Ugh, I was so mad. Um, yeah. it still makes me mad. <laughs> sure. um, but it, that process takes a while. So, um, I think it was, see, I have the fuzziest memory about stuff, but yeah, we, at one point there's thankfully nothing. So that's, that's good. And then it became the transition of like, well, where do we go now? Because we're obviously not going back home. And so, um, and where does my mom go? And so we, we went and switched and started staying with my husband's parents and my in-laws in their house. And so then it just became 
lots of appointments um, as far as starting to get plugged into trauma counseling and like we still ran a business and so trying to navigate like moving all our stuff and now we're also in an investigation so having to check in with the detectives and still do life stuff so yeah it just kind of became a mess. (laughs) So what were some of the specific steps you took in the healing of your mind the mental health counseling and things like that? Yeah. And this is the biggest, this is the biggest thing I want to share and explore with like, and the whole reason for my podcast, you know, I get that our story is like out there and really different, um, and has a lot of people that are going to be like, Whoa, but this is the stuff that like, you know, over the last eight years of, um, you know, healing from it and coming from it, I still have challenges and it's eight years later and it's a lot of, it sucks. It really freaking sucks. And, you know, I've always said like, you don't have to, there's no yardstick to measure trauma. Like, frankly, if you live in today's world right now, there's enough going on that we have issues and mental issues. So, but you know, when people did stories on our story, that part was skipped. It was always focused on obviously the event and not this. And this is what is so important to, to understand. So, yeah, so we, we got plugged into Harborview's traumatic counseling, um, which Harborview is, you know, a really well-known hospital in Seattle. And um, so we thought we were kind of getting to the best place for trauma counseling and we had separate counselors. And so we had our own person and, you start doing that. I don't even know how often we went, but I mean, that alone itself was terrifying. And I, just so people know, like me driving to Seattle, like we live in a small town and Seattle's a big town, like going, the fact of just driving into a parking garage now that's dark in Seattle, I was terrified. And then now I have to step into an elevator that closes and I'm like, who who am I going to be in there? And so everything was triggering. It was, it was just, I mean, Kyle's dad drove us around a lot because we were just scared to be by ourselves going to the store or the bank. And so, yeah, so we started that counseling. Um, and I, I also immediately, I think I, t- we talked to our like primary care doctor too, because I mean, anxiety was like, ugh, all time high, <laughs> you know, yeah. I walked down the hall and I was, I, I, would think somebody was coming out. So I also got on medication for that. And so, so I was doing medication and then also starting the trauma therapy and just trying to get through like one day at a time, because every, like when night would come, it was just the worst. I was terrified. And so with the trauma therapy, we had to expose ourselves to things that we didn't want to do. So you know, for me, it was sitting in a room by myself or being by myself. And so I would have to go into a separate room, which was literally like, here's the living room is the room next to it. (laughs) Um, and just close the door and be by myself. And then you have to like do that for a certain amount of time. I have to note like how high of anxiety or, you know, how intense it felt for me. Um, and then once you hit that kind of high, it comes down and then I could go out. Um, and then Kyle had his things he had to do, which I think like, you know, staying up after everybody went to bed was one and then walking outside during nighttime. So those were things that were involved. Um, eventually, you know, I was so traumatized and so scared. And I remember telling my therapist, all of these fears and concerns. And at what point I remember her pulling up, like, well, let's, let's actually look at the statistics in Seattle of crime. And then she pulls it up on her computer and, and I know she means well, but she was showing me how like crime statistics are actually going down. And that was a turning moment for me. I was like, clearly this is not the right person for me because when you're a one in a, whatever, one in a million event, you giving me statistics isn't going to help me like, (laughs) you know, so, um, figured out that that wasn't the right fit. And I tell that because not all therapists work for people like therapy is a very hard thing to approach. It's be, you know, you have to be very vulnerable to transition to therapy. And so 
that's a huge step for somebody to take. So know that if there's one person, you know, and it's not a fit, like there's other options and explore that because everybody has a different approach. And so, so she wasn't working for me. And then we ended up doing, working with a therapist who had trauma background, um, but also couples as well. And so, cause it was good to navigate together. Cause it was, we obviously went through the same experience, but had different issues with it. And so we did that for a while. And then I was also seeing a psychiatrist because, um, I wasn't, I had such a hard time sleeping and, um, my anxiety. So I was simultaneously doing that and yeah, I was, and then, I mean, and eventually, you know, our couples therapist, he, he moved. So we just stopped because he moved and I don't know, this must've been maybe three years after, um, the event. Um, and so at that point, I think we're like now enough time has kind of passed where it's not such an intense thing. And so for a while there, I wasn't having therapy. And then, um, I was actually on a podcast a few years ago, about three years ago now with Tony Blower, and he has the podcast, no fear. So K N O W fear. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and want to learn like just more awareness about situations, like listen to Tony's stuff. Tony's amazing, incredible, and, um, definitely recommend him. But by the end of the podcast, he was so great and realized like, whoa, you know, girls still got some issues. (laughs) And so he, he knew a therapist. And so he ultimately connected me to Jeff, who was you know, my therapist is my therapist now and who is on our podcast. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of steps. I mean, a huge part of our story is community and, you know, when Kyle being a firefighter within the first 30 minutes of gosh, the, when they let, you know, when people started finding out really quickly, but within 30 minutes, his shifts for three months were covered. Like people volunteered time away from their family to cover for him and allow us to heal. Like that was incredible. So we had time to just do what we needed to do. Um, you know, our gym, they started a meal train so that we didn't have to like make meals and worry about that. And then when we, uh, just like when we started moving into our house, like friends were so cool where they'd stay with me when Kyle would go back to work or like Kyle would go to work, but he'd come home for the night. Like they were adapting to us. And so that's a part of it too, is being plugged in and finding a community where you feel support to like, just heal and that stuff, obviously it makes me emotional because it just made such an impact on our life. So yeah, lots to it. (laughs) Yes. And another part to it. So when he broke in the first time, the police were saying, oh, he won't come back. The statistics say he won't come back, which is obviously triggering when the therapist says, here's the statistics. Um, so tell me about your intuition. That's a big part of the podcast, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So tell me about that aspect of it as well. Yeah. You know, here, like, listen to your gut, listen to your gut. And, um, it's interesting going through that experience and then being able to look back and realize like, Hey, I had, some feelings, my gut was kind of telling me something and dude, my gut ended up being right. And in my gut's not always right, but like, you know, I'm so, I'm such a people pleaser by nature and going through that, like they were telling me, he, you know, in 30 years, he's, he's never, you know, nobody's ever come back. And of course they weren't like, um, you know, one of them, I remember saying, you know, of course we don't have a crystal ball. We can't predict what happens, but yeah, statistically, like nobody's come back. Um, And I shared this with somebody. I mean, it's just, of course, they're trying to make me feel better, but it's, I I don't necessarily think that's, (laughs) I I get it. But, and we do that with our kids, right? Like I was listening to this cool podcast about parenting. And, you know, if we take our kids to, I don't know, like if they break their arm and you're telling them, it's okay, honey, it's okay. Well, guess what? It's not okay. It hurts. Like it's scary. And so, um, kind of reframing all that, but yeah, so my gut was telling me he was coming back and he came back. Um, and so that really messed with my head because I was like, well, my intuition's right. But then now I have anxiety. So now I'm having fears 
Um, so at what point is it anxiety or at what point is a gut hit? And so I've this last year with the podcast really explored intuition more, trusting your gut. Tony and I talked about it and he'll talk about, you know, if you're walking on the sidewalk and you feel something's off, there's absolutely no harm to cross the street. Like why, especially as women, do we worry about what somebody else is going to think versus like protecting ourselves or just being safe. And so, so that became a huge thing for me to, to promote is listening to your gut And in the podcast, I talk about the book, The Gift of Fear, which um, when the detective pulled me under the car, checked on me and how I was doing, she pulls out her card and she writes on the back of it, I want you to read this book, The The Gift of Fear. And so I read it, I've read it a couple times now. And so I, I recommend the book to every woman. I know you have a lot of women listeners and then have them share that book (laughs) with other people. And I have a lot of books too. So Emily, if I can send you some, so if there's people you connect with, but, um, and even men reading it too, because I think like as women, it is different being a woman versus a man. It just is. And so like for my husband to understand my intuition and trust it too, and not just to uh, think I'm crazy if I'm having a feeling. And then, yeah. And then even after it, you know, for all these years, I've kind of had this vision of intuition and fear, like it's a fear-based thing, but it also applies to everyday life. Like, you know, and I don't run my own business. And so what does my gut tell me to do with this employee? Or what does my gut tell me to do in this situation? And what I've really learned about intuition is the more you can just be aware of it and then follow it, the stronger of a connection you build with it. And, and it's, it's pretty, um, and then you can trust yourself more. And so, cause I still like, there was a moment a few years ago where somebody offered to give me a ride to my car. And this is even after our event and I didn't feel comfortable, but I still felt bad. Cause I was like, Oh, he's being nice. And he's offering to drive me to my car. And I didn't listen to my gut. I got in the car and let him drive me to my uh, car. And it was crazy because he, he smelled exactly like the guy and I got terrified and I got out of the car. Thank gosh. And I was like, what the hell did I just do that for? Like, why did I do that? Like I promote intuition, but here I am not following it. So it's still a work in progress for me, but I, yeah, intuition is a huge just read the book, The Gift of Fear. It's just, that is everything. So yes, I totally agree. Cause I struggle with anxiety too. And I haven't even been through a traumatic experience, but trying to refine, is this my gut or is this anxiety? And then reacting accordingly. Yeah. Um, it's something that I'm always working on. And I feel like everybody is working on, but like you said, I'm the same way. I'm a people pleaser. So I totally get that. And you didn't want to hurt that man's feelings because he was trying to make a nice gesture, but at the same time, you don't know somebody's intentions. So you don't. And like, like kind of, it goes back to Tony, like if it's, you know, it's just not worth it. Like, right. why, and he always says, choose safety, like choose a safe route or whatever. Um, and, you know, your thought, like one thing somebody mentioned to me, Stacy, actually the producer of my show um, with intuition, it, she's like, it's, it, it's this thing where it's, it's not a positive or a negative thing. So that helps kind of identify anxiety, like versus intuition. Like if something comes up, it shouldn't be like positive or negative. It's just kind of, Hey, I kind of feel like I should go to the store right now. Or, um, you know, yeah. Hey, that doesn't seem right. Or it's not like emotional. And I'm sure Jeff, he's talked to me a lot about anxiety and I can't recall my moments of that, but, um, yeah. So, and at the end of the day, people who do have good intentions for you, uh, will understand why you would take an action or at least have a hint of like, okay, she didn't feel good about that. Um, yes. so and, that's yeah. why you can't, the people that are going to get upset about it are the ones that probably don't have the best of intentions. And you must've read that book because that's his, one of his first examples is this gal's carrying her groceries and this guy wants to help her up the stairs. And she's like, I'm fine. I can get my groceries. He's like, don't you want the help? Oh wait, you can't take the help of a man. And so then she was like, 
and she starts feeling bad, but like your example, if somebody's truly a nice person, they'd probably be like, okay, that's fine. Yep. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, I just encourage, you know, there's so many for me, it's just like find resources. And, you know, if you are somebody that, again, it doesn't have to be my level of experience. Like I have people have challenges with their family or spouses or stuff. Like I just so promote getting help where you need to. And there's so many cool resources now. Like you don't have to like, if meeting with a therapist is too scary for you, like I know there's online platforms where you can find therapists. So that might be a more approachable or like, um, you know, there's podcast um, to explore more into it, like intuition more. I, you can search podcasts with intuition and then just encouraging people like, you know, if, if you're not feeling like you are making progress in something, like try something new. Um, like there's just so many different things. And, and again, kind of falling back to, uh, I don't know. I, my goal in life is I want everybody to feel the most fulfilled and happy life. Like we all deserve that. This world is a crazy place and stuff happens, but like we can't, like we are in charge of living the best life we can. It's, it's on us. And so, you know, getting enough sleep, eating well, like all that stuff will contribute to your mental health. And, um, it's hard. It freaking sucks in my, if you listen to podcasts, I get to a really, really low point, but you just have to believe that you can totally get through it. So that's, that's just my encouragement. Thank you so much, Tennyson, for coming on this podcast today. I really think you are a badass and that your story is going to help so many people. So thank you for getting out there and being willing to tell it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. One thing I wanted to clarify that did not come up in our conversation but is in Tennyson's podcast called Common Ground is that the perpetrator's toxicology report came back absolutely clean. No drugs, not even alcohol. It is believed that he was in the midst of a mental health crisis when this occurred. If you would like to know more about the incident as well as hear from Tennyson's husband, Kyle, I will link her podcast called Common Ground in my show notes, along with the book that she referenced called The Gift of Fear. And that is my chat with badass Tennyson Jacobson. This week's PNW wine that I paired with my true crime is Hawkins Cellar 2017 Underwood Mountain Pinot Noir. This wine marks the transition of Hawkins' focus from Pinot Noir from the Willamette Valley to their new home in the Columbia Gorge on Underwood Mountain. This wine packs a punch that is heavier than similar wines from the Willamette Valley, yet remains distinctly Columbia Gorge. A southern exposure, high elevation, steady breeze, gives this wine nuance and body that pairs well with lighter meats and heavy pastas. Cheers and thanks for listening. Upper Left Corner, a PNW true crime podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star rating and review and share it with a friend. All of the sources for this episode are listed in the show notes and at upperleftpodcast.com. While you are there, check out the Support Victim Causes tab to find the way you can help the victim's families or take a peek at my merch. You can follow me on Instagram at upperleftcornerpod. If you have a case suggestion or a PNW wine recommendation, please email me at upperleftpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.